Well, this morning, I want to complete our series of messages for this month um, that we've entitled, I've entitled The Trouble with Christmas. And, you know, if you've been following along in our Advent Bible reading, which just ended on Christmas morning. In fact, I said to Kim today, I feel almost at a loss because I'm so used to getting that that email, which even though I kind of produced it, you know, with Pastor Guy's help and the videos and so forth, like I was engaged with you as a congregation, reading the scriptures, going through the little booklet and even watching the videos. And Kim and I would pray with me praying. I know that sounds kind of weird, you know, but um, but we were doing that as if it was um, fresh and God used that even in our lives. I trust it was a blessing to you. But um, but I, I mentioned through there that that, of, of course, we often call this the Christmas season. And when we use that phrase, it's OK, but it really focuses in on preparing for for the celebration of Christmas Day. But throughout church history, it's really been called the Advent season, Advent meaning arrival or coming, because it's more than just the celebration of a day, but it's really a time of thinking about, considering um, the, the arrival of Jesus here into this earth, right, born as a baby, the incarnation. But not only that, it's, it's been a time in church history for for Christians to focus on the arrival to come. How many of us know that Jesus is coming back? Amen. And there's there's a second arrival that's going to take place. And so the Advent season was not just about Christmas Day and the birth, but also about his second arrival. And that's what I want to speak to us about this morning when I, I as I speak to us about longing for a new Christmas, longing for a new Christmas. We see over the past few weeks, we've seen how Christmas, that is the birth of Jesus, came into the midst of all kinds of trouble, how his coming created all kinds of challenges and inconveniences for those into whose lives he came, and how we saw last week with his coming, all kinds of unexpected things took place, even as the story of Jesus' birth took a terrible turn for the worse. We said last week, this beautiful little story turned really into a bloodbath story. And for sure, that first Christmas was no picture-perfect Christmas filled with softly sung carols and a quiet, starry night. But rather, that first Christmas was filled with all kinds of trouble. And yet we've seen how through all the troubles associated with that first Christmas, that God worked in such a way so as to put into motion his plan, his promised plan of redemption. We've seen how the benefits and blessings brought to us through the birth, even the life, death and resurrection of Jesus far outweigh any of the challenges and inconveniences associated with his coming. And last week we saw how time and again God has proven himself to be a faithful God in the midst of the unexpected twists and turns that life may bring our way. Can you say amen to that today? Well, you know, the story continues, and today we want to continue the Christmas story according to Luke's gospel with a part of the story that often gets overlooked. And again, as we do, I want to speak to us about longing for a new Christmas. As we look at Luke chapter 2, I want to begin reading at verse number 22, and we're going to read down to verse through verse 38. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. And the Bible says that when the time came for the purification rites, according, 
excuse me, the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. For as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young, pig <coughs> two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising, rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Will you pray with me? And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your word, and I pray that you would use it to speak into our lives, to, to, to stir something anew within us. God, that you would take these bones that, that are here before me, God, in, in this sermon, and you would breathe life into them and let it come alive to us today. Bring life into our souls, and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You know, in both Matthew's and Luke's Gospels, we read of Joseph, Mary, and the baby or the child Jesus returning to Nazareth in Galilee where they will eventually live. In Matthew's Gospel, as we saw last week, before getting to that point, we read of their escape to Egypt for a period of time. But Luke writes of another event that took place before they went to Nazareth, which most likely took place before they had to flee to Egypt. And that is of Jesus' dedication at the temple and what took place while Jesus, Mary, and the baby Jesus were there. You see, according to the law, Jesus was to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth and, and named on that day as well. And that would have most likely have been locally, and so that probably was done in Bethlehem. But after another 33 days, Mary was to present an offering at the temple to end her period of uncleanness. And because Jesus was a firstborn son, he was to be consecrated to the Lord or given over to the Lord. Even like, like Hannah brought Samuel to, to the tabernacle and handed him over. But then rather than leaving the child there, he would be bought back via a sacrifice. In fact, Luke's make, Luke makes it clear that Joseph and Mary did everything according to the law. He even notes the fact that they offered a pair of doves or pigeons, which was the sacrifice for poor people who couldn't afford 
a lamb to be sacrificed. And so Joseph and Mary went to the temple to do what they were supposed to do. And while they are there, in the midst of the crowds, something incredible happens. You see, here they are, just an average poor couple with a baby just over a month old in their arms, really a very common and insignificant sight. When two elderly people, first a man and then a woman, come up to them and begin to praise God over their newborn son. It's almost like Jesus had a tracking device on him and that Simeon and then Anna had the GPS to decipher his location. When each of them catches a glimpse of the baby Jesus, they come running up to Joseph and Mary and begin to prophesy with joy over this child. You see, it's an amazing moment that often gets overlooked, and yet it's a very significant one, I believe. For here's the thing. I can't help but ask the question, how was it that in the midst of the crowds that were there at the temple that day, with so many scribes and priests and other religious men wandering about and performing their duties, how was it that only these two people, Simeon and Anna, were able to spot the baby Jesus and realize the significance of his presence among them? How was it that only these two were able to understand the importance of his coming? And what can we learn from them? You see, as I look at what Luke writes about them, I believe we catch some clues about why or how it was that they alone realized the significance of the baby Jesus that day. And those clues can be summarized in three words. The first word is this, longing, longing. They, they were longing for the coming of their Messiah. You see, there was something in their hearts that had created a longing. We might say a stirring beyond what maybe others were feeling. Oh, I tend to think that that longing began with a dissatisfaction with their world as they knew it. We've already spoken about all the, all the trouble that was part of the world into which Jesus was born, the political oppression, the economic divisions, the instability of their society, the, re, the, the religiosity they had placed a burden on the people and so forth. But you see, as these two looked at the world around them and the solutions that it offered and the material things that it offered, even the best of what it offered, it appears to me that here were two people who were wholly dissatisfied with the world in which they were living. And that dissatisfaction created in them a longing for things to change, a longing for something new. Most of all, a longing for the one who could actually bring about that change, the one who would come and make things right. It seems to me they weren't banking on the rise of a new political figure or so, some sort of revolution against Rome to make their world better. Nor were they looking for some sort of religious reformation or better educational system or some social policy to be enacted. But rather, you see, they knew the Old Testament scriptures, many of which we've read during this Advent season. For they knew of how the prophets had spoken of one who would come and who would change their world for good, who would change the world in which they lived, bringing about a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace, as we spoke about even, even on Christmas Eve, bringing, bringing a, a, a world that would be filled with shalom, that would, be, that would be put back in order according to God's original intent. And it was for him, the one who would come and do that, the Prince of Peace whom we just sang about, it was for him that they longed. Over in Isaiah 
chapter 11. We read these words. They were part of our, our reading this past month. But a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor on earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And the wolf will lay down, will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat like we eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For in that day, the root of Jesse, that is Messiah, will stand as a banner for the peoples and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Oh, it's a beautiful picture of the coming of Messiah. And Simeon and Anna, they knew that when this shoot from the stump of Jesse appeared, that would be when their whole world would be changed. They knew that when the anointed one appeared, that that would be the day in which their world would begin to move forward in God's plan of redemption, salvation, and restoration. And thus there was a longing in their hearts for that day, a longing for the day when Messiah would appear. It was a longing that took them beyond the troubles of their world, a longing for, for, that they knew would bring about the ultimate solution to the troubles that they faced each and every day. Oh, we might say like little children who just can't wait for Christmas morning to arrive. These two, they just couldn't wait for that first Christmas, for the arrival of their Savior. These were two people who were living with a deep and persistent longing. But the second word is this, looking, looking, for they were actively looking for their Messiah. For it seems like they weren't just passively awaiting Messiah's arrival. Oh, yeah, we believe, you know, the scriptures say that Messiah is going to come one day. But in the meantime, we just need to get on with life, you know, and just kind of live. And when he comes, he comes. But rather, they're longing for Messiah translated into an active watching and waiting, a looking. I kind of liken it to maybe standing at a bus stop. And you're looking for the arrival of your bus. Or maybe you're at the train station awaiting the arrival of your train. You know what it's, it's, it's like. Maybe you've been in the subways, and I, I don't know. You know, we've heard about too many people being pushed off the subway platform. I, I wouldn't do this today. But, you know, the tendency is you want to get to the edge of the platform and look down the tunnel. Is it coming yet? Is the train coming yet? Looking, awaiting. For you know at any moment it will be coming. So you're looking down the street or you're peering down the tracks, expecting that at any moment your bus or your train will arrive. You see, it was like they were always on the lookout for Messiah's appearing. Their antennas were always up. Their GPS was always on. Their eyes were wide open, constantly looking towards the day that he would appear, not wanting to miss it. Could it be today? Is he coming yet? 
Is he here yet? Oh, again, for them, this wasn't just an intellectual knowledge that one day Messiah would come. Rather, it was a heartfelt expectation that since God had promised he would come, they knew it would happen at any moment. Messiah could be there. Their salvation could appear. So they lived with their eyes wide open, constantly looking for his appearing. They were longing. They were looking. And thus, they were preparing. They were preparing themselves for their Messiah's arrival. You see, for Simeon and Anna, I believe the worst thing that could have happened for them was for their Messiah to arrive and for them to miss him or not be ready for him. And thus we find these two godly saints living their lives in a state of constant preparation, preparing themselves for Messiah's arrival. We're told that Simeon of Simeon, that he was he was righteous and devout and of how the Holy Spirit was upon him, how the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die before seeing the Messiah for himself. And of Anna, we're told of how as a widow, she had given herself to a life of worship and fasting and prayer. It seems to me that they didn't want to be caught off guard. They didn't want to be found doing the wrong thing. They didn't want to be found lacking in any way. And they didn't want to become so caught up in the stuff of this life that they would miss the Spirit's prompting. And thus, each of them lived their lives in such a way that when their Messiah arrived, they would be ready. They lived their lives preparing for his arrival. Again, I'm struck by the fact that only Simeon and Anna recognized Jesus as their Messiah. I mean, think of it. Of all the many people who were in the temple that day, maybe hundreds passing through, including priests and Levites and scribes and so forth, only these two were able to recognize the baby Jesus for whom he was. Only these two understood that there before them, in the form of this infant boy, was their Messiah the one for whom they've been longing, the one for whom they've been looking, the one for whom they had spent their lives preparing. We might say this was their Christmas day. This was their Christmas day, for they knew at that moment the Savior had been born, their Messiah had arrived. In fact, notice Simeon's words as he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. I mean, what a statement to make when looking at a baby boy held in the arms of a peasant couple. My eyes have seen your salvation. Others are saying, what are you talking about? But he saw it. Notice what Luke writes about Anna. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In other words, she's saying, he's the one. He's the one. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, he's the one. It was their Christmas day. In the midst of their troubled world, they'd been longing, looking, preparing for the one who could actually save them and change it all. And there he was. They saw him. They hadn't missed him. What insight, what vision, what spiritual understanding, and what joy for Simeon and Anna. For when they saw Jesus, they saw their salvation. Amen. When they saw Jesus, they saw God's means of redemption and the answer to all their hopes and dreams and expectations. This was the one for whom they'd been longing, looking, and preparing. And we've said it before. 
but we still live in a world very much like the one that Simeon and Anna lived in, much like the one into which Jesus was born. It is a world that is yet filled with oppression, injustice, sickness, pandemics, right? Sorrow, pain. It is yet a world that is filled with all kinds of trouble. It's a world that still needs Christmas, the coming of the Savior. Let me bring this home to us with two thoughts here. The first is this. That first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, right? that first Christmas has come and gone. A Savior has been born. Jesus, our Savior and Messiah, has come to, first of all, begin his work in the hearts of men and women like you and me and to bring us back into relationship with God. He has begun the work of redemption and restoration. But unfortunately, most people are just passing him by, walking right by him without recognizing him. So busy, so consumed with politics, with business, with families and so forth that they've not been able to stop and recognize Jesus. Even during the Christmas season when we are celebrating his birth, so many people just pass him by in favor of trees and gifts and too busy to recognize their Savior. And yet there he is. He's come. The first Christmas has come. He, he, he's right in our midst, we might say. And I have to ask you today, have you recognized him? Have you recognized Jesus for who he really is? For you see, each of us needs a savior. We're all in need of the one who came to save us from our sins. The truth is sin has wrecked our lives and brought to us all kinds of trouble, leading us into sin time and again, separating us from God, separating us from from one another. We all need to know the forgiveness and the salvation of God that's been offered to us through Jesus Christ. And maybe, just maybe, there's been a longing in your heart for something new. Maybe today that longing has been stirring. You've become well, just kind of dissatisfied with the way your life has been or what your relationship with God has been like. And, you know, maybe you find yourself just, you keep on, on, on falling back into, into sin time and again. Your life is not what you know it should be. But if you'll stop and if you'll see Jesus for who he really is, if you'll put your faith in him, he will become your salvation. He will bring to you the forgiveness of sin that you need. And he will begin to put your life back in order. The Bible calls it being born again. Life begins to start all over. And he he gives to you the hope of eternal life. I, I plead with you today, don't just pass him by. Don't be like the rest of the crowd. But stop. Recognize Jesus for who he is. That the birth of that baby there in Bethlehem was not just about a nice little picture postcard silent night story. But Jesus... He stepped into our world filled with trouble. He yet continues to come into the lives of people whose, whose lives are filled with trouble to begin to work in us and begin to make all things new so that, so that the Bible says that all things pass away. Everything becomes new. 
And listen, it's not that all of life becomes perfect. As we've said, even we who are believers and followers of Jesus, we still face a world that is filled with all kinds of trouble, trouble that touches our lives time and again. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In the midst of it, however, you can know the love and the grace and the salvation of God if you'll stop and recognize Jesus for whom he is, that he came to be your savior. But the second application is this this morning. You see, a new Christmas, a second Christmas is coming. A second Christmas is coming, right? Do you know that? For even though the first Christmas has come, we know everything is not the way it's, 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 it's supposed to be. Everything has not yet been put back into order within our world. We're still living in a world that's filled with all kinds of trouble. But God has promised us another Christmas, a new Christmas, the day of our Lord's return, when he will complete the work that he has begun. There is so much, so much yet to be done, and there is so much that is yet to come. And so listen, church, listen, followers of Jesus, there ought to be a stirring within us that causes us to long for that day when Jesus, our Messiah, will burst through the clouds, the day of our Lord's return, when he comes and begins to put our world back into order, when he brings about that shalom that we've been speaking of. And listen, we ought to be so dissatisfied with our world, maybe even disgusted by it that our hearts just begin to naturally long for that day when he appears to make all things right. Oh, I'm afraid that maybe we, even we who are Christians, we've we've become too satisfied with our world. Well, that's just the way it is. Or we find ourselves running after the stuff that the world can give to us, or we, we, we focus on the solutions that the world has for all the problems. We become too satisfied I believe that God needs to give us by his spirit a renewed sense of dissatisfaction so that we just begin to naturally long for the day of his his appearing. A longing that, that would cause us to be constantly looking for his appearing. We're on the lookout. Our GPS is on. We're looking down the train tracks. But we don't want to miss him. And we know that since he's coming, we must do all that we can to prepare ourselves that we will not be found lacking in any way. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He goes on to say, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Watch, he says, Peter wrote these words, 2 Peter 3, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. You see, looking forward, right? And here's the preparation. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Oh, Jesus tells us to watch and pray, to make sure we are always ready. Peter tells us that as Christians, we're to be living our lives looking forward to the day of his return. For we know that all the answers to the troubles of our world of our lives are found in that new Christmas, the day when Jesus steps back into history and he does his work of putting our world back into order. Oh, church, listen, we don't want to be caught off guard, do we? We don't want to miss him. 
We don't want to be just religious people who are coming and going and, and, and we're just shocked that he came. We don't want to be so engrossed in the affairs and the institutions and the systems of our world that we fail to prepare ourselves our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our lives for the day of his return. Rather, we ought to be people who are constantly longing, looking, and preparing ourselves as we await our Savior's return, always praying, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. As I was preparing some more yesterday morning, a song came on my playlist that is often sung during this time. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a song that speaks of the longing of Israel, of God's people for so many years. And I listened to it in a new way. As I heard the words again, and those words began to realize they ought to represent our hearts. They ought to represent our hearts for the return of our Lord for that second Christmas, that new Christmas, the longing of God's people today. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God Oh, yeah, we find ourselves mourning, don't we? With all the pain and problems and trouble of our world. We mourn until the Son of God appears. Oh, come, O oh wisdom from on high who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show. Teach us in its ways to go. Oh, we need him to show us how we ought to be living our lives as we await his coming. O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient law times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Oh, he's given us his word to help us live in this world of trouble. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them from depths of hell your people save and give them victory over, over the grave. How many of us know a second resurrection is going to happen when we who are we we who who die before his return will be caught up with those in the air who go before us and and we will come from the graves and we'll receive that glorified body victory over the grave where O oh, death is your sting O come O key of David come and open wide our heavenly home make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode Jesus said I go to prepare a place for you when it's ready I'm going to come back and take you to be with me O come O bright and morning star and bring us comfort from afar dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light how many of us know the Holy Spirit he's called the counselor the comforter in the midst of our dark nights, he comes to comfort us. O come, O King. Listen, O come, O King of nations. Bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our King of peace. Shalom. It's going to happen one day, church. And so the chorus says, rejoice, 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to you, O Israel, O people of God. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. You see, like Simeon and Anna awaiting that first Christmas, so too today. We long for, we look for, we prepare ourselves for that new Christmas, the day of our Lord's return. So we say, oh, come, oh, come. We look up for we know our redemption draws nigh. We look ahead. We don't allow ourselves to become so engrossed with the stuff of this world and so overwhelmed by the troubles of this world, but instead we look up. We long for, we look towards, we prepare ourselves for the day of our Lord's return, we pray, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. You say it with me, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come on, online here in the sanctuary. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? So, Lord, today, we first of all thank you for the first Christmas, for the first coming, the first arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember your word that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would, 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 would believe in him would not perish, but would receive eternal life. God, I pray for someone today, maybe here in the sanctuary, someone online who maybe up to this point has just kind of passed Jesus by. But I pray today as they reach out to you, as they confess their need for a Savior, as they recognize your great love and their need for a Savior, that you would come to them by your Holy Spirit, that you would minister life to them, that they would know that every sin Every sin can be forgiven, that their lives can be made new from the inside out, that they can be born again, and that they too can receive the hope of eternal life, even the hope of which we've been speaking today. Father, I pray for us as your people, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us, that we would not become so satisfied with this world, that we would not become overwhelmed by it. But instead, Lord, there would be a stirring in our hearts for the day of the day of our Lord's return. That there'd be a longing and a looking and thus a preparing for the day of his arrival. That we would not be found lacking in any way but we would be living our lives each and every moment as Simeon and Anna were constantly, constantly longing and looking and preparing for the day that he would come. And so today we rejoice in you. We thank you for this Christmas season, for this Advent season. We thank you for it and for all that it reminds us of that that even in the world filled with trouble, that God, you stepped in. You stepped in through the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. And you continue to step in with your mighty hand. 
by your spirit and through your word, you continue to work and to speak. And Lord, we don't need to succumb to the troubles of our world, but we look up for we know that the day of our redemption is coming. We live our lives with hope and filled with faith. We don't allow ourselves to, to, to be sucked into the systems of this world. But we, we give our, our, our lives over to you to be your people, to live as your people. Always ready. Always ready for the day when you will step in. That second Christmas, will, that new Christmas will be here. So we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.